Your story. It lives in River City. Where you can enjoy a metropolitan vibe and a small town feel. Where we set the standard for service and looking out for one another. Where there's so much more than steak in our thriving food scene. Your story is the story of Omaha. Told by those who live it and love it. Whether that's helping you keep up with the Cornhuskers or creating the content you crave. And here in the Omaha World Herald is where it comes to life. Omaha World Herald, where your story lives. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up! Podcast presented by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports and powered now by Overtime Media. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, with me, my co-host, my partner in crime. You guys know him as your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, what did Santa Claus bring you for Christmas this year? Uh, Santa Claus got me some nice things. Helped me be a little more productive. Got a nice iPad. I got some things I needed for the winter, some nice clothes. It was a nice, nice Christmas, nice holiday. How about you? You know what? I got some slippers. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) And a scarf, Um, too? You know, uh, we were just talking about this off air, but like with when you're when you're a parent with uh, more than one kid, especially, you know, it really becomes focused on on the kids. The Christmas does, you know, Christmas holidays and gifts and all that stuff. But absolutely, um, for, for me, I got some cool stuff. To be all in all honesty, I got uh, a watch. I got some slippers. I got some new clothes. Some so I'm happy. But that's making so sure cool. my kids are happy for Christmas that's really for me what it really comes down to. You know. That's right. Number but one. Zach, but Zach's tooled up now. You know, he's he's loaded for bear on this hunt. He's ready for anything <laughs> as it comes to creating content. And, you know, we have to be because we're super stoked to announce to you, our listeners, that we have uh, joined forces with Overtime Media. And what that means is we're going to be hosted on a different platform. We're moving over from Spreaker to Megaphone, which is really exciting, and it's going to allow us to do a lot of cool things on the back end for our listeners from an analytics perspective. But also, it means that Zach and I are going to be increasing the amount of time uh, times we come to you each and every week. So traditionally, and what we've done over the last well, pretty much the life of the Huddle Up podcast is we've come to you once a week. And Zach and I have, we've kind of done the gut reactions each and every week. We react to the last game or the last big piece of news that hits or something like that. While Carl and Nick over on Building the Broncos, they kind of preview the upcoming game and the upcoming opponent or the upcoming event. And so moving forward, how this is going to change partnering here with Overtime Media is Zach and I are going to continue to do gut reactions, but we're also going to make sure we drop an episode and come to you at least twice per week. And who knows, each week it might be different, Zach. We might end up doing it two or three times a week. We'll see. There's going to be a lot of news this offseason. Very, very, very busy offseason. Coaching change, personnel changes, roster changes. And we will be podcasting as much as possible. If it calls for three podcasts a week, 
we'll be bringing three podcasts a week. We are very excited about this venture, and we want to thank everyone, all of Broncos country, for listening and tuning in. Uh, we love talking with you guys, engaging with you guys, interacting with you guys, answering the questions, talking about the Broncos. We wouldn't be doing this without you guys, so uh, I really do appreciate it. Chad appreciates it. So we're excited about this venture. Can't wait to talk more Broncos with you this offseason. Absolutely. Make sure you're following the show on Twitter, you guys, at HuddleUpPod. Also, if you haven't done so, this is absolutely crucial. Take some time, leave a creative review wherever you're listening to the show, but especially if you're on iTunes or Stitcher, make sure it's a five-star review, you guys. You have no idea how much that helps us grow and reach new listeners. It's a huge thing, especially for iTunes and Stitcher, so take some time and do that. Uh, And then other than that, we got to jump in. In fact, You know, we could just go straight to a gut reaction and break down that impotent and pedantic performance by the Denver Broncos on Christmas Eve. But what's what's the point? I mean, here we are now basically two days removed. Right, Zach? I mean, the sting and the disappointment, although it's still deep in our bones, it's kind of worn off. So let's we figure we kind of talk about and focus more this today's episode on what's on your guys's mind, what's on y'all's mind in Broncos country. We're going straight to the Mile High Mailbag because we are your football priests. And each and every week, Zach and I are here to provide you that absolution, the answers to your burning Broncos questions. And our first one here, let me pull it up. It looks like it's from Zach on Twitter at Baxter underscore 14. He says Great that. Name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except, you know what? He's one of those rubes oh, that spells H. it with an H. Um, never mind. I take it back. But you know what? There's H, then there's just Z-A-C. N-Z-A-K. you know? I mean... I got everything. But anyway, he says, uh, what the heck do you do from here? Who do you bring in for free agency? Who do you draft? I just don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. I understand that there's some young building blocks on the offense, but man, the secondary looks depleted. So he's kind of firing at us all six shots out of, you know, he's emptying his chamber on us there. So (laughs) if we're going to try and focus this question into one thing, let's just say as far as a free agency focus, we'll get to draft stuff, I'm sure later in the mailbag here, but from a free agency focus, you know, the whole point of free agency, Zach, is, and I'm addressing, of course, my partner in crime here, Zach, is you want to fill the most needed roster holes, the most apparent roster holes in free agency so that by the time you get to the draft right you're not reaching and so in that spirit what do you think the focus should be answering for our boy here baxter 14 on free agents focus I mean, it's really going to be at the discretion of the next coaching staff what they want to do. If they think Case Keenan can be the answer, if they can be, if they can be the quarterback for next season, they're not going to push hard for a quarterback. If they don't think that, maybe they make him a backup or even release him. They go after a quarterback. Not a lot of great options out there. I, Nick Foles, you have Tannehill. Not a great free agent class. Not a great draft class for quarterbacks. So they might be stuck with Keenum regardless this season, and also his contract comes into play. They need offensive line help. They need safety help. They need corner help. I mean, inside linebacker, a lot of roster holes to fill, but it's a multi-layered question that can't be answered without knowing who the next coach is, what side of the ball he coaches on, his background. When that is solved, that question's answered, we'll know, we should know a little bit more about their direction for free agency. Yeah, I mean, Nick Foles, he's interesting because we've seen what he's done you know, at the end of last season and into the playoffs and then winning the Super Bowl and the way he's kind of helped the Eagles again down the stretch this year. He's interesting, but at the end of the day, as much as I like the idea of Nick Foles, 
I think he's pretty much in the same class as a Case Keenum. And what that really means is that, you know, he's if, if you're a well-balanced team and you have good coaching across the board, he can take you some places. But he's not the type of quarterback that is able to put a team on his back and raise all ships in that sense. And so I think he's really in that same class as Keenum where he's a average to below average starter. I mean, look at what Ke- uh uh, Foles did, excuse me, to start this year, the first four games for the Eagles. I mean, nothing that you write home about when he was kind of the entrenched starter. Then you get uh, Carson Wentz comes back. You know, it's not a great season for the Eagles, but once he's tapped again to come in uh, on the tag team and, and replace somebody, all of a sudden he's, you know, extremely valuable. And I think that's basically the same for Case Keenum. If there's a free agent quarterback name out there that intrigues me, it would be. Teddy Bridgewater, who Mm -hmm. is supposed to be hitting the market, but he's still not a guy that I think you can hang your hat on. I mean, that's one of the frustrating aspects, Zach, of where the Broncos are today is that, you know, this is not expected to be a strong quarterback class. It's not a strong free agent class either. And and yet you have Case Keenum, who you could cut him, but he's going to count for $10 million against your cap for dead dead cap. So the Broncos, from a quarterback perspective – it's less than ideal, and just like Zach and I have been telling everybody for the better part of the last three months, you probably are looking ahead to 2020 to really solve your quarterback position long term. I agree with you 99.9% about the Keenum and Foles comparison. The only thing I'll say is that Foles has a little better arm talent, and he's taller. I don't want to sound like Vance Joseph when I say that, but it does help. <laughs> and he, he's a little more clutch, I think, in December and the playoffs. I, I think he will be overpaid, though, grossly. And I don't think the Broncos have the luxury of bringing him in right now while having Keenum on the roster. The only way that would even become a possibility is if Keenum eats some of his salary or they just suffer the cap hit. But I don't think Foles is coming to Denver. Uh, some team will overpay for him, and I don't think he's worth that money. So I do agree with you. There's not a lot of quarterbacks in this open market in this upcoming class. You don't really get lucky too often. You, no Peyton Manning to walk through that door that often. Yep. So Bridgewater, Tannehill, Foles, it's not the right time to get one. They had to have one on the roster already. Ready. And that, again, is why Chad Kelly hurts so bad. That is why Paxton Lynch, that failure hurts so bad. They don't have a young quarterback on the roster. And I personally agree with you. 2020 is the year to get one. I don't like the free agent class. I don't like the draft class. 2020, they're going to just have to find a way to get there in the meantime. Absolutely. We move on here to uh, our next question from Jedi Joshua 58 I saw on Monday that Royce Freeman was weighing 238. Didn't he come into training camp, uh, training camp closer to 225? If so, that may be why he's lost some burst, and hopefully Lindsey will be back healthy for the offseason program. So, you know, one thing we should touch on on the tail end of this uh, remark here before we get to Josh's actual question is we have the unfortunate news, and most of you I'm sure already know this, but Philip Lindsay is done for the remainder of this season, which of course is only one game, but he's going on season-ending injured reserve. And Zach, as you reported on Wednesday, he's got himself a more than lengthy recovery to look forward to. I hate this so much. I feel so, so bad for Philip Lindsay, the Cinderella story of the year, the Pro Bowler, the historic running back, local product. Uh, he had a, a bad wrist injury in the game against the Raiders. He has a possible scaphoid fracture, I believe it's called, and also ligament damage. He's facing a recovery. Vance says three to four months. Early reports said four to six months. Either way, he's done. He's not going to play in the Pro Bowl, the regular season finale. He'll miss 
a large part or all of the offseason program, but he should be back for training camp. But I hate it for him. I really do. He was having a great season, and yet the injury bug claims another player. The Broncos just cannot escape from its grasp. The good news is that he's not going to have Pro Bowl removed from his resume. He is still a Pro Bowler, even though he won't be able to appear. It just you know, creates an opening for whoever the alternates are on the list in the AFC. But yeah, it's, you know, you wanted that experience for him as an undrafted kid to be able to go to the Pro Bowl and interact with the elite players of the league in an all-star environment. You know, I really was looking forward to that for him as a uh, as a young player still kind of making his name in the NFL. So it really is crap news. I mean, the truth is he's going to be fine in terms of the big picture and long term. Uh, and fortunately also as well, it wasn't an injury to his legs, which is the key, right? It wasn't a knee. It wasn't an ankle. It wasn't any issues there. It was too. It's a serious wrist injury, but something that he should be good to go for by by probably summer. So at least halfway through training camp, at worst, you can expect to see Philip Lindsay back, rocking and rolling for whomever the next head coach is in Denver. But we get to to Josh's question here. About Royce Freeman, you know, I'll be honest with you just off the top of my head, I don't recall specifically what his weight listing was in training camp, but I will acknowledge, Josh, that he does seem to have lost some of his burst that we saw early on in the season, and more so than perhaps adding any weight. Zach, I think that has more to do with the fact that, you know, it does take, and running backs especially, but it does take a lot longer for guys to heal from high ankle sprains, which is what he suffered a severe one heading into the bye. And I just think ever since that injury, he just hasn't been the same player because you look back at the beginning of this season when the Broncos were relying on him as the starting running back and really before Philip Lindsay officially exploded on the scene, which really didn't happen until Freeman went down and he became the starter. And Lindsay went on that three-game run where he eclipsed like whatever it was, almost 400 yards rushing and five touchdowns, and that that was really his arrival as far as you know. I'm the man now. Uh, before that, it was it was really Freeman was the starter, and he was more of the focus as far as the the tip of the spear for the offense. He was breaking tackles. He was leading as far as the advanced analytics and yards after contact in the league, and then since then he's kind of become lackluster. I mean, he still runs hard. But I agree with Josh there, Zach, that he seems to have lost some of that burst. When you were reading that question about why he doesn't look as fast anymore, I was screaming in my head. I was saying, uh, the ankle injury, high ankle sprains are notoriously dreaded. They linger. They're hard to rehab from. They're known to uh, get re-aggravated. That's an awful injury for a running back, and especially a running back like Freeman, who's a one-cut runner who plants on that ankle and goes upfield. He hasn't looked the same, no, and he's been overtaken by Philip Lindsay. But like you said, Chad, in the in the early part of the season, he was by far the RB1. He was that workhorse. He was that rich man's version of C.J. Anderson, and that injury came along, and Lindsay's emergence happened, and uh, he took a back seat. So I don't really think it's cause for concern. I think he'll uh, he'll be healthy for the program, and he'll be back next year at a better playing weight, a healthy, a good number two to Lindsay, and I don't have any problem with him. So I'm not putting too much onus on his weight or his injury. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we move on. I mean, Royce Freeman's going to be fine, you guys. He's obviously, instead of being the the expected lead back in this offense, like the Broncos probably projected him to be when they took him in the third right. round. He's not he's, a starter. He's not going to be the starter moving forward unless there's an injury. He's going to be a great compliment, though. Right. I mean, what can you? What more can you ask for in terms of this? The explosive, quick twitch speed of Philip Lindsay, complemented by the physical 
just explosive nature of Freeman when he's fully healthy and that ability to pick up yards after contact. But we move on here to Drew Hollenbach on Twitter. His question is, gun to the head choice on who we take in the first round. Now, I'll be honest before we answer this question, Zach, we should probably just make sure everyone understands. You know, this we're speaking for myself, Zach, you probably agree with me here. I'm not going to I I haven't yet really dove deep into the 2019 class of players at every single position uh, for Mm -hmm. the draft. And I won't really until this season officially ends and then I can start you know, dialing it back a little and spending some time getting to know the class and reading some scouting reports and watching some film during this time is when I lean on guys like Nick Candle and like Carl Dummler and like Eric Trickle for their expertise. Cause they never, it's nonstop. It's, you know, 365 days a year for them to draft. However, I will say this, I can't tell you exactly who, but I would say the Broncos still need to seriously, seriously investigate quarterback in the in round one this year. I mean, you never know who's going to emerge from the bowl games, from the college all-star games, from the senior bowl and the combine. I mean, Carson Wentz this time in 2015, he was an intriguing quarterback prospect, but no one really expected him to be the type of quarterback in which teams would sell the farm like the Eagles did to move up and draft him number two overall. And I'm not saying that's going to happen in 2019, Zach, but you never know what can emerge and the way events can coalesce as it gets closer to the draft and all the events kind of take shape. But for me, it would be quarterback. If the Broncos determine there's not going to be a guy worthy of taking uh, using a, a number one pick on, I would say corner. And as far as cornerbacks yep. right now, I like DeAndre Baker from Georgia. I like Greedy Williams. I like the kid from Washington, uh, Byron Murphy. So there are some some intriguing corner prospects, but I think you have to, if you're not going quarterback, I know it's a, it's a deep defensive line class, which Nick's been telling me uh, week in and week out, so you can get some D-line help later on. I'm going corner. Yeah, I'm with you on the draft stuff. My evaluation really hasn't started till the season ends. That's when I go into draft mode, so I'm with you there. I'll defer to Nick and uh, Carl on that stuff. But again, it's got to be an offensive position, and it also depends on the next coach. It's a layered question. If the next head coach thinks he can win with Keenum, they're not going to go for a quarterback in round one, more than likely. And right now, there's no quarterback to take in round one. Justin Herbert, he announced today, is is staying at Oregon for another year. He's out of the picture. That thins an already thin quarterback class. I don't want Drew Locke in round one. I don't want Will Greer. There's not a top flight franchise quarterback in this year's draft. So if they don't go quarterback, which I agree is a major need. I am also thinking cornerback. I'm with you on Greedy Williams. I'm with you on Baker. Um, They got to get one because Chris Harris Jr. is not getting younger. Roby's gone. Brock's gone. Taylor's gone. So uh, and and I don't think uh, Yadam and uh, Langley are ready yet. So I'm with you on Greedy Williams, DeAndre Baker, or uh, uh, offensive lineman, a tackle, right tackle. They need one for Valdir, who's a free agent. So I agree, it's got to be an offensive position, quarterback, corner, tackle, something like that. Yeah, so we really do look forward to, though, Drew, getting back to the nature of your question. You've you got to make sure you're subscribing because we're going to be getting to a ton of deep dive draft conversations and content when the season officially ends. And that's a week from oh. now. I mean, we're going to be officially in off-season mode. Probably the focus of next week's pods are going to be more focused on uh, the head coaching search, which is certainly coming. But it won't be long after that that we're going to really turn our attention to the draft. So stay tuned. And then also, Matthew, here in the mailbag, you you, you brought up the uh, Justin Herbert news that he's staying in school. 
Um, and what are we going to focus on? What position group player? I think we kind of addressed that with Drew's question. So let's move on here to Ruan Pablo. His question, Zach, is if the Broncos get rid of Emmanuel Sanders, which wide receiver do we see the Broncos looking for in the free agent crop to lead these young receivers, or would you even let them without a veteran? I'm not sure what he means there. And using the cap space for another position. So let me let me just sum this up. If the Broncos end up getting rid of Emmanuel Sanders, do you hang your hat on what you have with this young trio, or do you go out and try and find yourself a veteran to come in and kind of pace everybody, set the standard so that, you know, you have a little bit of experience in that group? I would go in between. They, if they don't bring back Sanders, they cannot go into 2019 with no veteran receiver in that room. But I, I would also not break the bank on a veteran guy. I would not go all out, uh, you know, trade for one, throw big money at one. They can bring in a veteran name, a, a, a an aging mentor perhaps. I don't know any names yet. I don't know who's going to be a free agent for sure. Well, I don't know the situation. Let me let me just name a few just so you know. Okay. I just pulled it up on Spot Track because I didn't know off the top of my head either. Let me just list a few. You got the old man, the the gray beard, the long tooth, Larry Fitzgerald. You got Randall okay. Cobb from Green Bay. You got Dante Moncrief from uh, Jacksonville, formerly of the Indianapolis Colts. You got Tavon Austin, Golden Tate. You got mm-hmm. Ryan Grant. I'll just go a couple more. John Brown, formerly of the Cardinals, now playing for the Ravens. Jermaine Curse, Corderell Patterson, Kevin White. Then it starts getting a little bit thinner, but there are some some value adds in there that I like, and it's kind of interesting and funny here to see Cody Latimer uh, uh, being <laughs> among that class. But, you know, so there's no one that I see in that group of guys. I mean, you never know who who might become cap casualties like Emmanuel Sanders, but um, I don't see anyone in that class that I'd be dying to go out and get. But if I had to pick one just from the top ten I'm seeing there. I would be somewhat intrigued by Golden Tate mm-hmm. and uh, perhaps Randall Cobb. I was going to say Cobb, Golden Tate, and Tavon Austin. They need a speedster. They don't need a possession receiver. I love Larry Fitzgerald. I love watching him play. They don't need to sign him. They don't need a possession guy. They have Cortland Sutton. They need a speedster. So I'm with you. Those are my three names immediately came to mind. Uh, Randall Cobb, Golden Tate, Tavon Austin. I, again, I would not break the bank on them, but I would give them a two, three-year contract, let them come in, uh, teach the young wide receivers, and also give the Broncos a veteran big play presence. Yeah, so we'll see how that takes shape when we get a little bit closer as well to off-season time. But let's move on here. We get to uh, Ronald Newman's question. Assuming Case Keenum is the quarterback next season, what head coach, offensive coordinator combo could get the most out of him and make him at least serviceable? Now, before we get to answering this question, we did, just so everyone knows, we on Wednesday, day after Christmas, we published an article on the website, everyone go to milehighhuddle.com to check it out, that was a Mile High Huddle roundtable of each and every one of us, including Zach and I, giving you our prediction slash you know, choice for who the next head coach would be. Some of us listed also the coordinator combos that we would attach to that head coaching hire. Oddly enough, both Zach and I chose Dave Tobe from the Kansas City Chiefs as the next head coach. Of course, he's the special teams coordinator right now in Kansas City under Andy Reid. So let's just say, Zach, since we both are kind of pushing the, the Dave Tobe line, what offensive coordinator would you – I've got my choice. I'll wait till you answer. But who would you see being able to pair with Case Keenum to try and, and get some production out of this guy and at least – 
if it's even possible, get him playing to a level that more resembles the 2017 Case Keenum? They have a couple options here. They can go for a veteran name, an established name, or they can go for an up-and-comer. If they hire Tobe as their head coach, which I would like, even though he'd have to really hit a home run on his offensive and defensive coordinators, um, give me John Filippo, or give me Matt LaFleur or give me Zach Taylor. Those are two um, veteran guys, and you have Taylor, uh, uh, the next Sean McVay potentially, Sean McVay 2.0, learn under him, um, helps call plays there, help develop Jared Goff. So if they want to go for an experienced guy, I like Filippo. I like Matt LaFleur. If they go for an up-and-comer, I'm a big, big fan of Zach Taylor. Yeah, and that's both Zach Taylor and another guy, Mike McDaniel, would be my top two choices. Now, Mike McDaniel is kind of the de facto offensive coordinator under Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco, even though technically he's not a coordinator. He's quote-unquote the run game coordinator, but because you have Kyle Shanahan actually calling the play. So he doesn't officially, Shanahan, have an offensive coordinator, but if he did, it would be this Mike McDaniel. Now, I'll admit the guy who turned me on to McDaniel as a candidate here would be Eric Trickle, who's talked a lot about him for our Mile High Huddle VIPs on the message boards, the MHH Insiders message board. So I started investigating him a little bit, looked into it, started watching a little bit more Niners tape, and I really do like this Mike McDaniel. And it also, I think, helps that he understands that he's tied to the Mike Shanahan coaching tree, and that's where he got his start in the NFL, Mike McDaniel. But similarly to his boss, Kyle Shanahan, he is the type of football mind who is, you know, he's got his base philosophy, which is that West Coast zone blocking scheme type of philosophy. But he's been able to also merge cutting edge innovation in the way that the NFL game is going so that you've got a really good cutting edge mix of the two. So I like I'm with you on Zach Taylor. I'm with you on. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to LaFleur or Filippo, but my two guys would be Zach Taylor and Mike McDaniel. Let me say that I think largely the next coordinator will come from the team that the head coach comes from. And if that happens to be Tobe with the Chiefs, mm-hmm. Mike Kafka, the quarterback's coach there. That's a name to keep in mind if they want to pluck a name from the staff of the guy that's coming to be the head coach. So um, if Tobe comes over, I would keep that as a sleeper name, Mike Kafka. Interesting. And that's a, you know, it's an upward mobility move. It would be a promotion for right, him right. To, exactly. to go from quarterback's coach to coordinator, assuming... Can't block course, it. Yeah. Well, assuming the Chiefs allow it, because technically NFL teams, if they have a coach under contract as an assistant and they are offered a job elsewhere, can they block an upward mobility? Because remember what happened with the with the Bengals and Vance Joseph in 2015, the Broncos wanted to sign their secondary coach, hire I should say, not sign, hire him to be a defensive coordinator, but the Bengals blocked it. So I think they can block it if they wanted to, which would be Reed's prerogative, perhaps not wanting to give it. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner anything more to a division rival. 
Well, then again, Reed personally coaches the quarterbacks there anyway, so maybe he's okay with letting the next guy come up. So we'll have to see what happens. But um, usually the head coach imports his own staff from the team he's coming from. That's just a name I want to throw out there. That is a good – that's actually something I had not considered for Tobe uh, is Kafka because you're right, a lot of times new head coaching hires, they bring in someone that they're familiar with on – you know, their their new staff, whether it's past guys they've coached with, they bring back in, or guys that are were with them on their most recent coaching stop. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. And we know, I mean, we've seen what the Chiefs have been able to get out of their young quarterback. So very interesting. All right, so our last question, and then we'll kind of move on here. We're, we're running out of time. Zach, you got a question for us. Why don't you serve it up? All right, Jaybird. Jaybird underscore 15 asks, serious question here. I see Tobe mentioned a lot the last few years. What's so special with them that have people in love? I follow football, but not to y'all's level, so assuming I'm missing something. Also, there is no snark intended. I'm, le- I'm legit serious in my question. No, uh, no snark there. I'm going to just uh, answer this real quick, then I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll serve it to you, Chad. Um, it's just the fact that he's a well, well-respected name in, in league circles. I mean, usually special teams coaches don't get the, the publicity as offensive and defensive guys, but he's been there for a while. Um, fellow coaches rave about him. Uh, he gets the most out of his players. No-nonsense kind of guy. The players love playing for him. Um, he's learned under Andy Reid. He has experience. Um, the Broncos interviewed him already, so they, they're familiar with him. He can bring over some some coaches, some players. So that's why there's not a lot of good retread names out there. And a guy who's well-respected by GMs, coaches, players. It's always a guy you want to bring in because t- players tend to gravitate toward that. So that's my feeling on Tobe. Two things to piggyback on that is, one, the Broncos are not a ideal landing spot for any head coaching retread right now. I mean, if you look at some of the coaching availability options that are going to be out there for candidates in the 2019 head coaching carousel, I mean, I'm looking at Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers, and I'm looking at Cleveland with Baker Mayfield. I mean, not, if I'm a head prospective head coach uh, who's had to either just recently got fired like a Mike McCarthy or, you know, I'm going on my second attempt at becoming a head coach, right. I'm looking at those two jobs because I have an established quarterback. And so the truth is the Broncos are probably going to have to find someone who isn't, who's, you know, not as uh, perhaps able to be as choosy about where they go, which is why, and if you're looking at it through that lens of reality, okay, that's just the, that's just the truth. All right. Dave Tobe emerges in both of our opinions as the most superior option. And I threw this out also on the mile high Roundtable piece. I like the idea of Mike Shanahan. Now, a lot of us don't. There's a lot of guys, colleagues on staff, don't like the idea of Shanahan, think that, you know, it's a been there, done that. He's served his purpose. He burned out in Denver. He burned out in Washington. You know, let sleeping dogs lie type of thing. I don't. I think it could be something. But we all know, so long as Joe Ellis remains in control of the team, John Elway answers to Joe, and he's not going to allow Mike Shanahan to return. So that's the one thing to keep in mind also as it relates to Dave Tobe. The other thing is Andy Reid, so branches that have sprung off the Andy Reid coaching tree in the modern NFL have been astounding successes. Look at what Doug Peterson did for the Philadelphia Eagles, winning their first ever world championship last season, beating the Patriots in the Super Bowl, which we all went, heck yeah, you go boy, beating Tom Brady and Bill (laughs) Belichick. But then you look at Matt Nagy, what he's doing in Chicago and taking a what was just a completely lackluster and, and 
pedantic. That's I, I think that's the second time I've used that word on this <laughs> podcast. It's a good uh, word, though. Roster, with the exception of the addition of Khalil Mack, which, let's face it, he's a great player, but he's not a guy that's going to take you from a worst to first just by – I mean, if he were that caliber of player, he'd have been doing it in Oakland each and every year. So you got to point to what Matt Nagy has been able to do in Chicago as well. And so one thing about Dave Tobe that I think should really excite – any and all Broncos fans as a prospect is the fact that he brings competency to the table. Look at Vance Joseph, for example. Week uh, 16 on the road in Oakland, that was about as unprepared a Denver Broncos team as I've ever seen take the field. I mean, they didn't know whether they were foot or horseback. Okay, They were completely (laughs) disorganized. Vance Joseph has continued to be terrible in his decisions to challenge plays. Dave Tobe is a guy who can come in from an organizational perspective and and really make sure ducks are in a row from a preparation perspective, make sure everyone's on the same page, be a good organizer, and make sure that going into each and every throwdown, the Denver Broncos are loaded for bear. They're ready for anything. They're prepared. And that's really what Dave Tobe is known for. He's being he's super organized, he's super effective, he's very efficient. His units are always highly efficient and highly productive. That's what the Broncos need right now, Zach. It's such a great point you bring up about the Broncos not being attractive enough to land a top flight head coach. I'm so glad you brought that up because I I wanted to talk about that. They can't lure a Jim Harbaugh right now. They can't get a Lincoln Riley. They're not going to get maybe even a Mike McCarthy. No one wants to come in here, a, a, a franchise that's so far removed from winning. It's crazy that it sounds like that. With no quarterback in place, working uh, in a stadium that has no name, no sponsor, uh, no owner with a, under John Elway, they're not good enough right now to land a top flight coach. So they might have to settle for that second tier. And I think Tobe is, is if not among the first tier, definitely among the second tier. And like you said, Chad, they don't need the next, you know, Tom, uh, Bill Belichick. You know, they don't need the next Steve Walsh. They need just a competent head coach, a guy they're not going to lose because of. They can win because of. They're not going to win in spite of. Just a guy who gets the most out of his players, who's not going to lose the locker room, keep it together, let the coordinators do their job, and then just let the, the talent take them rest of the way. So that's why I like him. He brings a steady hand. He brings. Uh, experience, something Joseph never had. He's seen the NFL from many different perspectives, and I think he'd be a good hire. Yeah. I mean, the thing is about Vance Joseph, too, is, look, you know, his players, when they say that they love him, you know, I do believe him. I, as a man, I think they all respect and love him and appreciate him. He's a He really is a great human being. He's a really just a good man, Vance Joseph well, is. I mean, there's – you got the – there was that report that came out when he was hired. So Well, I know about his history, but they're allegations. They're not necessarily proven in a court of law. And even so, even if they were true, you know, they, it's it's ancient history. It's, it's when he was in college, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he or, seems like anyway. a nice guy. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. He's a, he's a good dude is what I'm getting at, but that doesn't pay the bills at the end of the day. What the Broncos have lacked is just organizational competency at the head coaching level. And he's just... Joseph has just been in over his head. That's just the bottom mm-hmm. line. Yep. And I think Dave Tobe, you know, he worked for two very long tenured head coaches in his last two NFL stops. First in, in Lovey Smith in Chicago for all those years, in which he had extremely productive at the very top of the NFL special teams units. And then, of course, for Andy Reid now in Kansas City, where he's been since 2013. So he understands the model. I mean, Vance Joseph, for all of his 
faults. You know, he, I should say, actually, for all of his strengths, he's kind of bounced around the league. He's been a Kubiak guy. He's been a Marvin Lewis guy. Uh, he worked for Mike Singletary for a time in San Francisco. Adam so, Gase. Adam Gase, true, as well. And so he's, you know, you could look at that as a positive, that he's worked for a bunch of different guys, coaches. He can take a little from here, a little from there, and kind of make it his own brand. But I see that from more of a negative perspective, right. where he Me doesn't too. really have an overarching philosophy or an example in which he can go, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to duplicate X. And Dave Tobe does. And there's there's a lot of reasons for it. In fact, Zach, why don't we do this real quick? We'll kind of do, do this to finish today's episode. Um, shooting from the hip here, let's touch on some of the selections our colleagues made in the Mile High Roundtable for head coach and just kind of rapid fire go through our own pros and cons on whether we think they'd be a good hire. Now, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, both Zach and I chose Dave Tobe uh, as our preferred choice and prediction for who the next head coach is going to be. But each and every one of these, you know, there's pros, there's cons. I'm going to run through these real quick. I'll name who they got. So, obviously, Khalid Al-Shami, he also chose Dave Tobe. He was the only other person besides Zach and I to choose him. So we'll leave that as a lie. Good good job, Khalid. The next one comes from Josh Carney. Now, this is a weird one. This one actually took me by <laughs> surprise. He chose Mr. Matt Eberflus, who is currently the defensive mm. coordinator of the Indianapolis Colts. And he's another guy similarly to Vance Joseph, who's been a career assistant position coach, got one year of defensive coordinator experience this year in Indianapolis. Before that, he was a linebackers coach for the Dallas Cowboys, gets his first shot at being a coordinator. And the Colts, you know, similarly to the Dolphins that year in 2016, they're kind of pushing for a wild card. But one thing different where his road diverges from Vance Joseph is he's got a top 10 defense uh, heading into week 17, whereas Vance Joseph's defense in, in Miami is his one year of a coordinator experience. You know, they were a bottom third defense. So... Matt Eberflus, your thoughts on him as a prospective head coach candidate for the Denver Broncos? Yeah, take Darius Leonard off that defense, and how good are they? You know, I don't want to. I would not want another first-time, inexperienced head coach. Interesting name. I would not mind him as a defensive coordinator. I just don't think, and I don't want another first-time, inexperienced guy who's had one decent season for a really um, kind of a Cinderella team in the Colts. I would not choose him to be my head coach. That's just my opinion. I'm not opposed to the idea of the Broncos hiring a coordinator who's. This is his first opportunity to be a head coach. I'm not completely opposed to the idea. At least not defensive. Well, and that's fine. I I hear that too. I just don't want it to be a guy with one year of coordinator experience. That's my thing. Like I don't if if it's defensive coordinator, it's the best guy, and that's what the team sees. You know, the brass, the brain trust. So be it. I just Zach don't want it to be a guy who's got one year of coordinator experience, which is another reason why for me. You got John DiFilippo, Matt LaFleur. To me, they're not the strongest candidates any longer for uh, that position because they basically have one year. Because even you look at DiFilippo the year before in Philadelphia, he was not the offensive coordinator. He was the quarterback's coach, which is great. I mean, he got good production out of Wentz. He got good production out of Nick Foles. This was his first year being an offensive coordinator. He gets fired a little bit more than halfway through. Meanwhile, you got LaFleur, who's done a solid job. He started off a little bit sketchy in Tennessee, and things have started to pick up slack, or excuse me, pick up uh, momentum. But he's not had the most stable quarterback situation with Mariota kind of being banged up uh, and inconsistent. So 
that's what I would say is is the same thing applies though for Matt Everfliss is do you really want to hang your hat on a guy with one year coordinator experience yet again? And when I say inexperience, I mean like the guy has one or two years. You know, anything right. more than that, I, it's okay for me. And I don't mind Eberflus or DiFilippo or Matt Lafleur as a coordinator. I don't want them to be the head coach. Yeah. So to me, Eberflus, it's an interesting name. Maybe next year, if he shows that he can do it two years in a row, maybe then he'd be a good candidate in my eyes. But right now, it's a little too soon. So here's Carl Dummler's selection. He chose. Now this would be a head coach retread. Jim Schwartz, currently the defensive coordinator mm. of the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, in Carl's defense or um, analysis explanation on why he's choosing Schwartz, he brings up the fact that in his third season, Schwartz was able to guide the playoffs or the, the Lions to the playoffs for the first time in 12 seasons, and also the fact that when he inherited the Detroit Lions, they were coming off an 0-16 season. But your thoughts on Jim Schwartz as a head coach, retread, getting his second opportunity. You know, he'd probably come in with some uh, some uh, cred, some energy, some, you know, I think players would fear him a little bit in a good way. That's the one positive I could see from Schwartz, at least off the top of my head. Yeah, I think the Broncos are going to go after a retread, a veteran guy, and if they go, this is the the lone defensive retread that I would probably hire for the Broncos. If they don't get an offensive guy and they go for an experienced name, uh, Jim Schwartz is kind of my candidate. Um, Vic Fangio is another candidate there on the defensive side of the ball. Um, what I like about him, I don't want another defensive coach, but he's a hard nosed type. Right. Um, he's a spit and vinegar kind of type. He's the complete antithesis of Vance Joseph, and that's exactly what this Broncos team needs right now: some accountability, some fire, some. Passion. Um, I'm all for it. If they do hire Jim Schwartz, I think he'd be a good choice, and he can import some assistance uh, from his team, which also uh, they have some good assistance there. Yeah, and he also springs off the Bill Belichick coaching tree, even though it goes right. way back to the '90s and their time together in Cleveland. So I'm I'm with you though. Like if the Broncos, and just for what it's worth, what we've kind of heard behind the scenes from our sources within the, the site, within the team, is uh, that the Broncos do like Jim Schwartz. He's high on their list of potential candidates to replace Vance Joseph. But if the Broncos go that direction, I mean, I'm not going to be completely disappointed if the Broncos hire someone else other than Dave Tobe, so long as it's the right guy. And I could get behind Jim Schwartz because, I mean, just think about this. He almost got in a fist fight with Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> after a game as Detroit Lions head coach going against San Francisco 49ers head coach. I mean, he's that type of dude. Like he, he, And I think that's maybe kind of the rough and tumble. I mean, he knows what he's doing. Don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about bringing in some kind of anarchy to the Broncos coaching staff. He knows what's what you know how to how to field a winning football team i mean to turn around a club like the Detroit Lions who had for years been a league doormat even though it ended up disintegrating later on, just to get back to the playoffs even one year is pretty phenomenal accomplishment for a first-time head coach in Jim Schwartz. So there would be a lot to like in that hire if that's the way it shakes out. Now, here's one that kind of threw me for a loop, Zach. Let me tell, let's see what you think about this. Nick Kendall. Now, I asked Nick for his contribution to the roundtable a few days ago. Now, granted, you got Christmas, you got people traveling, holiday season, family, stuff like that. He deliberated over it. He wasn't sure who he liked most. Here's what he ended up coming to the table with. Brian Schottenheimer, son of, of course, the famous Marty Schottenheimer. But he's currently, Brian, the offensive coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks. What are your thoughts on Schottenheimer as a candidate? 
Uh, I don't want him. I don't really have any thoughts other than that. I don't want Brian Schottenheimer. I don't want Marty Schottenheimer. I don't want anyone from that family. So that's a no for me. <laughs> yeah, you want to be able to get over the hump. You don't want to just be able to get to the hump. You got to be able to get over the hump. Even though, you know, there's some uh, joy to be taken from the hump. You still got to be able to get over the hump if you catch my drift. Okay. Now, here's enough more. Here's another interesting one. And well, what I'll say, just so Nick understands. I think he makes a really strong defense of Schottenheimer as a candidate. Uh, he did find a way to take what appeared to be early on this season a impotent Seahawks offense and turn them around and create a winning product and you know put some stability around Russell Wilson. So I'll give him that. But I'm with you that for me off the cuff, as an option, Brian Schottenheimer just doesn't really light my fire. So here's one that's started to become – it started to pick up some steam here. It comes from Bob. Eric Trickle also chose this as his primary uh, candidate to replace Vance Joseph. Chuck Pagano. Now, we all mm-hmm. know that he is the former head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. He spent this year out of football. He is not coaching in 2018 after the Colts fired him at the end of last season. Then, of course – tried to hire Josh McDaniels. He said yes, and then at the 11th hour he said no. So they ended up going out and hiring Frank Reich, the offensive coordinator of the Philadelphia Eagles. That's what happened with the Colts. Chuck Pagano, he stayed out of coaching this year, and the Broncos, we know, were kind of interested in him at the end of last season. They was like, well, what are your interests? Would you want to come in and be a coordinator? Would you want, where are you at with your coaching career? Do you want to be a head coach? What's the deal? He wanted to take some time off, but now he's had a year to kind of rest, rejuvenate. Zach, what would your thoughts be on Chuck Pagano, who everyone thought he has a winning record as a head coach, but a lot of people thought he got a raw deal overall because of he was basically tied down to the worst GM in the modern game, which most people agree, football minds agree. Ryan Grigson has been one of the worst GMs in, in the NFL over, let's just say, the last decade. I would say Matt Millen's up there too, but uh, you know, I, he doesn't really do it for me, Chuck Pagano. Another guy that it's probably best suited as a coordinator, not a head coach. Uh, someone like Todd Bowles, better coordinator than a head coach. Some guys just cut out for that. Maybe even Vance Joseph. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't despise it as head coach. It's just it's not my preference at all. I, I I'd be okay with him being the DC. I don't want him as the HC. Uh, great guy, great you know when he beat cancer, great story. I just don't want him as the head coach of the Broncos. Yeah. So I'm I'm with you. I think if you're looking for stability in a guy who, you know, again, he's plus 500 as far as his, his winning percentage as a head coach, but many of those wins came with Bruce Arians in place as an interim head coach while he recovered from, I think it was leukemia, if yep. I recall right. But mm-hmm. anyway, there's an argument to be made for Chuck Pagano, and I understand it. Off the cuff, I don't hate it, but other than just bringing some stability and kind of a tough-nosed defensive guy who knows what he's about kind of approach, there's nothing in hiring him that really excites me. Right. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. But he is from Colorado. He's from uh, Boulder, I believe. So there are some ties there. Now, we move on to – there's two more we'll touch on, then we're going to get out of here. Lance Sanderson's choice was David Shaw, of course, the head coach mm. of, of Stanford right now. But – all signs point to all the hot coordinator, or excuse me, coaches, or current head coaches in, at the college level. In terms of making the jump to the NFL, guys like David Shaw, Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma, Matt Campbell at Iowa State, uh, missing one. Oh, uh, Chris Peterson in Washington. Well, and of course, Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. All the reports on all those guys so far have said that 
they've kind of rebuffed each and every NFL team that's checked in on them on that front, saying, look, I'm happy where I'm at for now. Aside from offering a guy like that, you know, $10 million a year over 10 years, like the Raiders offered John Gruden, I don't really see David Shaw or the Broncos being able to lure David Shaw out of his job, which is a pretty cushy job for what he likes to do. He's known as a great recruiter, working with college kids, turning them into men. I like him as a head coaching candidate. I'd be stoked, in fact, if the Broncos got David Shaw, but I just don't see it as a realistic option moving forward. I love David Shaw. I'm a huge fan of fantasy's eye. His brilliant offensive mind, brilliant offensive strategies, big fan of his. There's only maybe one college coach that's going to come to the NFL, and that would be Lincoln Riley. And that would only be for the Cowboys, I feel like, and they're not going to replace Jason Garrett. So, yeah, they're not going to make any big leaps this year. And the Broncos, as we talked about earlier, they're not good enough right now to lure those those coaches away anyway. They wouldn't get David Shaw, even though he has that connection to John Oway at Stanford. They're close friends. There is some sort of connection there. Right. Um, yeah, it's not the year to get him. He's not going to come out. So I, they don't have the pull right now. Not even Elway has that kind of that draw, that attraction right now. Yep. It's very similar to where the Broncos were at in 2011 when Elway inherited his his role as uh, you know the vice president of football operations at the time. You know, at least then the Broncos had this unknown quantity of a former first round pick quarterback in Tim Tebow. This time around, they don't even have that. They don't even right. have. I mean, Chad Kelly burned his bridge. That would have been the closest thing resembling the quarterback situation when Elway inherited the team there in 2011. So that's the biggest thing is head coaches, they can make the difference in a football team being successful and winning. Obviously, the, the best teams in the league are coached by the best coaches, and there's there's obviously a correlation to winning and having competent, good, innovative head coaches. But coaches are also smart enough to recognize if you look at the best teams in the NFL – with very few exceptions, like last year was an exception with Minnesota. But these teams also have top-tier quarterbacks or quarterbacks playing at a top-tier level in the moment. And so if you're a head coach out there, you're looking at opportunities to advance your career. The Denver Broncos job, it's a high uh, expectation, high-pressure job. I mean, all NFL head coaching jobs are high-pressure, but Denver's especially because not only do you have the Broncos country standard of winning – and the pressure and expectations and urgency there, but you're also coming off three consecutive seasons of missing the playoffs and back-to-back losing seasons for the first time in 46 years. I mean, it's going to be an enormous amount of pressure put on this next head coach, and if you don't see a viable quarterback to hang your hat on in terms of you know really being able to lean on that to turn the ship around you're going to be grasping at straws at least for a year. At bare minimum, a whole season, you're probably going to be, I mean, best case scenario, 8-8 eight and eight is what you're looking at. I mean, if you're a guy like David Shaw, you have a tie to John Elway, you are friends, you got the Stanford connection and all that, but, like, if you're going to make that jump to the next level, don't you think you're going to take a job that offers a little bit more, you know, you're starting off on square three or four instead of square one? Right. That's exactly why the Cleveland Browns right now are a more attractive option than the Broncos. They have Baker Mayfield. I mean, the game lives and dies by the quarterback. And any offensive coach, top flight coach, David Shaw, Lincoln Riley, Jim Harbaugh, if they were to come to the NFL, they would want their quarterback to be in place, a franchise quarterback. And Kevin Hogan ain't it. You know, Garrett Grayson's not it. They don't have that draw right now. And that's why they're going to have to settle for a second tier option. And that's why, Chad, you and I both agree that Dave Taub is that best option. 
The last one here selected was from Alex Valdez. He chose Matt LaFleur, which we've already talked plenty enough here about our thoughts on on Matt. We think he's got a he's got a great future somewhere in the NFL as a head coach, but now is probably not the time yet for him to be a head coach. He needs a year more longer in a current position as an offensive coordinator to mature and really establish his own model and his own brand. So that being said, I think we pretty much addressed the most burning issues and questions on the minds of Broncos country, Zach. Let's make sure our fans know what to do. Our listeners of the show, get out there and follow on Twitter at HuddleUpPod. You can find Zach on Twitter at Kelberman247, myself at Chad and Jensen. Give us a follow, and especially if you want to be able to get in on the Mile High Mailbag each and every week. Now, we don't make every episode about the Mile High Mailbag like we did today, but we do get to questions in the Mile High Mailbag at least once every single episode. If you want to be able to get in on those, you got to follow the show on Twitter at HuddleUpPod. Also take some time to leave a creative review. Give us a five-star rating. If you really want to support the show and help us grow, that's a great way to do it. And other than that, Zach, my friend, my partner in crime here, all the listeners, if we don't talk to you between now and January 1, 2019, Happy New Year. Be smart. Be safe. Take care of yourself. And here's to good things on the horizon for you personally and, of course, your favorite football team, the Denver Broncos. Happy New Year, Chad. Best to you and your family. Happy New Year, Broncos country. It's been a tough season, but just know after January 1st, new coaching staff, new changes, new personnel, maybe new quarterback. Exciting year ahead. Keep your head up. That's right. Keep your head up. Keep your chin up. We'll be uh, back talking to you here soon. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. Talk to you then. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 